there was a Sunday school class that was discussing King Solomon. And they were getting into the life of King Solomon, how he began and the things that he had done, the requests he made of God and the things that went on through his life. And as they began to get on into his life, they began to focus more on the mistakes and all the things, the problems that were going on in King Solomon's life. And and uh, just one after another, just mistake after mistake after mistake. And after a while, the teacher said, well, maybe we've been picking on King Solomon a little too much. What do you all think? And the kids in the class says, nah, that's okay. He had a lot of wives. He's used to it. We're looking at somebody else who had a lot of wives. Understand that practice is not something the Word of God tells you to do, but they did it anyway. We're going to be over in Judges chapter 9. We're going to look at one of the product of of his wives. Gideon had a lot of wives. You have, we don't know how many he had. Solomon that tells us how many he had. But we don't know how many Gideon had. But we know that he had 70 sons. We don't know how many daughters. But if you have 70 sons, you all know that's not by one woman. <laughs> that's not going to happen that way. Whew. That is something else. 70, 70 sons and how many daughters that he had. But this uh, one we're going to be looking at today is from a uh, not a full wife, but from a concubine. Now, sometimes there's some misconceptions about what a concubine is and things like that in the Old Testament. And it's really hard for us to understand in our culture because we really don't have that, thank God, that we have abolished that sort of practice. Sometimes we think of them as uh, mistresses or, or, or kept women or something like that, but that's not really what it was. A concubine was a wife on the second level, and just a lower level wife is, is what it was. So they could have full wife or they could have the lesser wife. It could be one that was a servant, someone who was uh, a captive. And they may have taken her. I mean, there were some practices that went on in Bible times that God must have just, oh, what are they doing? And they did it. We all, men throughout all times have done all kinds of practices that God sure hasn't liked. And he didn't like these either, but people had done it. Just like with Solomon's case, when you have that many wives, it brings strife into the family. That's just not good. Same way it would be if you had one wife and a bunch of husbands. It brings strife into the family because God ordained it to be one and one. And if you veer off of that, it's going to bring in strife and problems. And so Gideon, who wasn't the best of men anyway, had all these wives. And so there were strife and things inside his family. And Abimelech is one of the ones, one of his kids. And I guess actually if you count him, there's 71 because they went out to try and kill 70. Then Abimelech, the son, verse 1 of chapter 9, then Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam or Gideon, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's fathers. So it's, this is where his mother came from, from the area of Shechem. Now, how many of you remember what Shechem is in the Word of God? Shechem is a town about 30 miles south of Gideon's hometown. That's about the location of it. It's named from Shechem, who is the son of Hamor, and it's from the book of Genesis in chapter 34. You'll see one of the stories. If you go through, you can find a number of times that Shechem is referred to. But this particular one is where Abraham, I'm sorry, Abraham, not him, but the 12 sons of Jacob, they had come to this, this area. And as they were there, the men of Shechem had captured their sister Dinah. And they took her and uh, basically held her prisoner and and uh, they didn't do very nice things with her and a couple of her, her uh, true brothers, not half-brothers, but true brothers, were very upset at the treatment of their sister. And so the men of Shechem said, look, we, uh, we, we want her to be able to stay here and we want you to be able to intermarry with our kids and vice versa. So we like to get this kind of relationship going on. What Shechem was trying to do was to incorporate Israel into them. And so they would be kind of usurped into the the uh, area there, the Canaanites that were that were there. And so the two brothers were very upset at this. And so they made this plan because their father wasn't going to do anything about it. Their father was kind of like, all right, well, this is you know what happened and so forth. And so they made this plan to say, look, we'll make them uh, get circumcised. And on the third day, when they're really sore after that, we're going to go in there and slay them all, which is what they did. And they went in through the town and they killed all the males. Now, I don't know if that means they killed all the males that were adult males or if they killed all the males all the way on down. Because if they killed all the males, then really there aren't too many descendants of Shechem. They would have been the daughters who married some others and 
But uh, anyway, whether these folks took the name from them, this is where they come from. Or they actually are from their, their town there. This is where Shechem is from. This is where Abimelech is from. And he goes on back. So basically understand, these are not Israelites. This is in the area of Manasseh and Ephraim. This is their, their area of uh, where they dwelt. It says, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jeroboam reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your flesh and bone. So Shechem is looking at it this way. Remember, Israel is now the occupier of the land. So Shechem is not really the uh, owner of the land, though they own more than they probably were intended to do by God, that they're still around. So they decide, well, you know, a half-brother of ours reigning over us is certainly better than what it has been. So let's go ahead and go for that. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. Just because a person's heart's in it doesn't mean God is. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers and 70 sons of Jeroboam on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together at, at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. What position did Abimelech take? King. Many people, if you ask them who was the first king in Israel, would say Saul. But Abimelech is the first one who was made king. Now they tried to make his father king and his father refused. So now they're going to make him king. Now it's very unlikely that his influence went anywhere outside of this region, Manasseh and Ephraim. So really the first king of all Israel was Saul. But they didn't make this guy here king up till then. Now Shechem is involved. You know, it's not all Israelites that are doing this. But then Jotham comes on back after he hears this. So when they told Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out. And he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit, and go to sway over trees? So the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go to sway over trees. Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now how much of a God-fearing person Jotham was, can't really say from this, it does seem that he had some, and it does seem that he's actually speaking by the, the voice of God here. But what he says is this. He has four trees that he, that he brings out. The first tree is the, is the olive tree. Or the, yeah, the olive tree. The olive trees are, all three of these first three are very useful, very functional, and very abundant in the land of Israel. So the olive tree comes out and everybody knows what olive tree, or fig tree, olive tree comes out. Everybody knows what the olive tree does and what benefit we get from that. And the olive tree says, should I cease doing what I am doing that is beneficial in order to do this? And so they come over to the fig tree. The fig tree also is producing things that the land and the inhabitants of the land like. Should I cease from doing this to come and reign over trees? Then they come to a vine. Now, who's coming to the vine? The trees. I don't know, but I, most trees are bigger than vines. Vines sometimes climb up trees. So it seems like they're getting lower and lower as they, they go on through with this. I'm not sure how big a fig tree is or an olive tree is, but at least they're in the category of a tree. A vine is not. It's a vine. It grows grapes. 
They make wine and stuff like that from it, and that was pretty important for their society and culture. So the vine says, well, should I cease making the new, the, the, the grapes for the new wine? No, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. I'm not going to reign over you. So what they were doing was he's given this parable, and all three of these were given a position of power. They were being offered a position of power. You come and reign over us. You have this position of power. But all three were doing something that was functional. All three were doing something that was good and beneficial for the land and the people in the land. And they said, no, we're content with what we're doing. We're content in our purpose. We know what we're here for. And we're going to continue to go and do that. That's not something that we're called to. That's not something that we're supposed to do. And we're not going to get involved with that. They were functioning just fine with, with what they were doing. So, we come to the, rump, the final one, the bramble. And he said to the bramble, you know what a bramble is? Basically, it's a thorn bush. It's uh, what fruit is on a thorn bush? <laughs> Not much. There isn't a whole lot that's, that's really good about a thorn bush. Especially these kind, you can go out to the desert and you can find nothing growing, but there's a thorn bush. They don't need a lot. They don't do a lot. They just get in the way. They're just a... They really have no real purpose, no real function. So it's kind of... A nuisance. I mean, if you're going to go in there and plant stuff, do you want thorn bushes? No. I mean, if it's a rose that has thorns, that's one thing, but just to have, it's just thorns. That's all it is. That's just, there's, there's nothing good about that. And so they're desperate though, and they come on over to the thorn bush. You come and reign over us. So there are three are producers, and one has no beneficial purpose. The first three trees are happy and content in their purpose. Be happy and content in your purpose. Oh, I'll tell you what, learn how to be happy and content in your purpose. It's too easy for us to be dishappy, unhappy with our purpose, with what we're called to do, and we start looking for other stuff, getting involved in things we shouldn't do. But the fourth has none and hopes he might find it doing this. They've asked a thorn bush that really has no purpose. So what Jotham is saying is they couldn't find anyone of value Anyone who had any substance to him. And so they came to Abimelech. And they said, reign over us. And he said, all right, I'll do it. But he says, first off, you have to come and take take uh, protection. Take uh, the protection of my shade. What shade do you get from a thorn bush? <laughs> Not much. But they'll get under it and feel like they're being protected. You see, if you get somebody, put them in leadership, it has no spiritual value. You're not going to get much protection out of them. Though you may hide yourself and say, well, I think we're getting something. And Abimelech is going to give them no spiritual protection. Nothing. Because he's a worthless man. He just went over and killed all his father's sons. All of them. The only reason Abimelech is even being looked at or considered is because his father was Gideon. And yet... He doesn't really show that any respect. He goes over and he kills all his sons. I mean, this is what worthless people do. They'll say that they value something, but they only give it value for when it brings them some kind of benefit. As soon as it doesn't bring them any benefit, they throw it out. This is not a man of principle. Abimelech is not a man of principle. He just wants power. Now, I met, skipped over this part, but he is made king at the terebinth tree at the pillar in Shechem. This is probably what is also called the oak at Morah. The Lord appeared where the Lord appeared to Abram, Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6. And he promised to give him and his descendants the land. It also seems to be the same place where Moses read the law from. Told him about the blessings and the cursings of the law. Jacob buried his idols there when he cleaned his house, called his family back to God. And Joshua's final speech was there in Joshua 24. And he led all the people into reaffirming their obedience to the Lord. So this place has some significance. And so he's trying to glean on the history and the significance of this place. But what, what he's doing is nothing significant. And nothing that is good. So Jotham's point with all this was a productive person would be too busy doing good to want to bother with power and politics. A worthless person, on the other hand, would be glad to accept the honor. But he would destroy the people that he ruled. 
And Abimelech certainly does this. Jump on down to verse 22. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years. Three years. Now, would you say that Abimelech was faithful to God? Would you say that Abimelech was faithful to his father? Would you say that Abimelech was faithful to Israel? And yet he's reigned already three years. He's done this conspiracy. He got what he wanted. And he's reigned for three years with the men of Shechem. On the, probably just their area. Probably didn't go real, real far, but he's still reigning. God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Why does God wait three years before he does anything with this situation? How many of you think that God should act now? How many of you are looking at situations in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, and you think God should act now? He shouldn't be waiting on this. He should be acting now. He waited three years. And in the tribulation, one of the most horrible men is going to take rulership. One of the most horrible men in history will take rulership and he will be in that position for seven years. And God really doesn't do a whole lot to judge what's going on for the first three and a half. Does a little here and there, but he saves the big stuff for the end. Got a pharaoh over in Egypt and they oppressed Israel for all those years. And God didn't judge them right away. What's up with that? And Herod and the evil things that he did and he continued to reign. How about all the evil kings that came after David and Solomon? And how long they were able to, to go on. Manasseh reigned 50, 52 years, I think it was. Evil. At the end, he finally turns himself over to God. But evil. How many of you are thinking, God, after 10 years, that's enough. If you were one of the faithful in Israel during that reign, how many of you are saying, oh, how long is this man going to reign over us? When can we get someone who's going to lead us in the area to where God is and not lead us into idolatry the way this one had done? Because Manasseh led him into horrible idolatry. Some of the worst he led them into. Anybody asking those kind of questions? Looking at God and saying, you know, what's going on? Because most times, like we're getting into the last couple of weeks, most times we see the judgment of God, we immediately want to begin to decide who was faithful and who was not. If we see a judgment come in on someone, well, they obviously weren't faithful. If we see a judgment being withheld, we wonder, are they more faithful than me? How is it that I seem like I'm going through this and they're not? Don't we do that? Now, remember what we went over in Proverbs chapter 20. That many people think they are faithful. My guy doesn't think so. He says that they're rare. Let me read you a couple of those uh, ones from the message translation. Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Lots of people claim to be loyal and loving, but where on earth can you find one? The Amplified, many a man proclaims his own loving kindness and goodness, but a faithful man who can find? The CEV says, there are many who say you can trust me. But can they be trusted? There are many who say they are faithful. But God says they are rare. we got to make sure we're one of those ones that God says that they're faithful. So he goes on here. Left off at 23. Verse 24. That the crime done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains. And they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told Abimelech. So here's what we got. God has sent a spirit of ill will. You've got to follow this thing on through. How many, of you, how many of you have studied Judges chapter 9 ever? How many have not done so in a while? How many are confused about what this chapter is even about? Dear Lord, what is this thing about? <laughs> You've got to follow this along because this is... When you get into the idea, we're looking at this from the standpoint of faithfulness. You can also look at this from some other things, but we're really just looking at it from the standpoint of faithfulness. So the spirit of ill will comes from God between Shechem and Abimelech. Of those two, who is the most faithful? Trick question, none. 
There you go. You're thinking that. You just don't sure you can say that or not, right? <laughs> None. I mean, Shechem, uh, do they worship God at all? They worship Baal. How can you call them faithful? And Abimelech, he'll do anything he can to get power. So if you were God, who are you going to decide between? Neither one of them. Wipe them both out. But why does God send a spirit of ill will between Shechem and Abimelech? It doesn't it seem like he wants to judge Abimelech with the men of Shechem? So here it is. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains. And they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told Abimelech. Ah, oh, it was told? I thought God wanted to get him. And he finds out about this plot? Well, when it happens other times, you know, uh, Elisha finds out about a plot and the Spirit of God told him, who's telling this guy? Now, now here we got a name. I, tr I was going to try and look this up to find out how to say it. I think it's Gael. It could be something else. And if you hear something else and it sounds more Hebrew or from that time frame, I guess it's actually not Hebrew name there, but more Canaanite, then uh, you can go with that one. <laughs> now, now, Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. Why? Is he a faithful man? We don't know. No idea. But apparently the men of Shechem, you don't have to be faithful. You just have to be willing. So they went out into the fields and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. This sounds like a godly group, huh? Then Gael, the son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubel and is not Zebu his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. So, you know, you get amongst your own worthless people like this and they all start talking and, and saying stuff and they all get all excited and, hmm, I don't know. You get around your own people and you can come out with any kind of conclusion. You all know that? I'll tell you what. I was watching the, um, the game last night. Anybody else watch the game last night? Do you know what game I mean? There's only one game on TV last night. Villanova. That's right. Villanova was on again last night and I was watching that and... And, uh, you know, it was a close game there. Villanova seemed like they were going to take the charge of it and came down and was close at the end. And I was perusing some things here early this morning and I saw something. They had a, uh, I just had a quote. I didn't go and look at the article. I just saw the quote. They had a quote from one of the Pittsburgh players. And one of the Pittsburgh, I know which one it was, but uh, one of the Pittsburgh players, he said, well, we won the game, but they had more points. <laughs> and I thought about that. It says, did you see the same game? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, indeed. Villanova won. Isn't that good? See, you can come out with your own group and come up with any kind of conclusion you want to. So they did this. They're talking tough. They're ready to go. If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. Now, Gael and the, and the guys and the men of Shechem here, they have gone into their God. They have drunk gotten drunk, partied, cursed people, come up with bad plans. How many of you say God is on their side? Yeah, I don't say that either. How many think God is on Abimelech's side? No, yeah, I don't say that either. When Zebo, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. Why? Because he's on Abimelech's side. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem. And here they are, fortifying the city against you. Now, remember, go back to the beginning of this section of the, of the chapter. God sent the spirit of ill will for the purpose of avenging the 70 sons. But every time that the men of Shechem get a plot together, something leaks out over to Abimelech. And he finds out about it. So it's not a big deal. This just doesn't seem to be working out the way that it should. Now therefore, get up. 
by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. So what's he telling him to do? Get the army and bring them close. Get them over here. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and lay in the wall against Shechem in four companies. Now, think about this. Why is Abimelech king? Because of the men of Shechem. You see, he couldn't get the people back home to be on his side. He had too much competition there. There were 70 other sons. And some of them were more true Israelites than he were. He was. So he goes back to the guys that he was related to that none of the rest of them, I guess, were. That he had the most influence with. And he pulls with them. And so he gets the men of Shechem and they're going to help him. And now, three years later, they're not going to help him anymore. So what's he going to do? He's going to come after them in battle. You've never been betrayed by people like that before, have you? You have much more faithful friends. <laughs> mm. I don't know. When Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. Why is he saying that? What's the buy on time? Now, here's the thing. Gael must not be the brightest tack in the, in the thing. Because he even said in his little speech that Zebul was with Abimelech. And so who's he got standing next to him? He's got the same guy standing there right next to him and he's taking counsel from him. This is not a bright individual. God could certainly recruit better, right? I mean, Gideon's starting to look pretty good right now, isn't he? I mean, that's why he went and got him. <laughs> look at what he had, to, had around him. So Gael spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. Then Zebul said to him, where indeed is your mouth now with which you said, Who was Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despise? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So he's telling them to do what he told Abimelech they would do. He's going to send them out. So Gael went out leading the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him. And he fled from him and many fell wounded to the very entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Aramath, and Zebul drove out Gael and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. So when they left, Zebul, he got to working inside the city and got rid of the rest of the guys that were on that side so that there wouldn't be any, any problem from that. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech, what people? People from Shechem. The people from the city that helped get him into power. Those people. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, and lay in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he arose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. Messed this thing all the way up. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Berith. So this is a stronghold, this is a, a tower that is outside of the city. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zaman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a, a bow from the trees and took it and laid it on the shoulder. And he said to the people who were with him, what you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech and put them against the stronghold and set the stronghold on fire above them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. So they took this wood from these trees and they laid it all at the base and set the wood on fire so that the wood would come up high and catch the tower on fire and burn all the people that were inside. Thank you for your help three years ago. That's what he did. Now, Shechem was... What, weren't you seeing this story go? That Shechem was supposed to take care of Abimelech? 
But then Shechem, they're all gone now. They burned them all up, killed all the ones in the city, the ones that were in the tower. They burned the tower and killed all them. And who's still alive? Abimelech. This just doesn't seem right, does it? Then Abimelech went to Thebes and he encamped against Thebes and took it. And there was a strong tower in the city and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up in the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it. And he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire, just like they had done before. They're going to burn this one, burn all the people out. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. <laughs> so he's already, he's defeating these people too. He's got them all trapped in the tower. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to pile up wood. We're going to set it on fire. and We're going to burn them out. And as he is bringing the stuff to the tower, woman stands up there. She's looking on down. She's, I don't even know if she knows it's Abimelech. She might know it's him. But she's got something. She's got a weapon. And she's looking on down there. And as soon as it's time, she drops it. Hits him right on the head. Either she was a good shot or God helped that thing on the way down. <laughs> Don't know which one it was. Understand it doesn't have to be a huge millstone, huge boulder. If it's coming a long way down, that's going to hurt. And it doesn't kill him all the way, but it does a pretty good job. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, draw your sword and kill me lest men say of me, a woman killed me. <laughs> so that just wasn't good for a warrior to have that go on, I guess. Because, you know, the women didn't fight. It's just the men that fought. And, hmm. So he's got a pride thing. We already knew that he's got a pride thing going on. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Then God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. This is what God was doing the whole time. He's going to judge them all. And out of the mouth of Jotham came the word of God that fire would come from Abimelech to burn Shechem. And it literally happened. He set fire to the tower, to the base of the tower, and burned all the people that were in it. He burned the city. Fire came from Abimelech and burned them all so that Shechem was judged. And Abimelech ended up being judged as well. So God got them all. Even though it didn't look like it was, it was working out all that well, He took care of the whole, whole lot of them. Thank God for that. Judges is not a book you want to read if you're going through bouts of depression. You want to pick me up book, you know, you're going into the Psalms and the Proverbs and read some of those pick me ups. Don't go to Judges. I don't know of too many verses in there that are pick me up verses. The whole thing's kind of gloomy and, oh, it's just terrible. The things that the people do to each other and just, just not so, not so good. Well, the spirit of ill will that God had sent caused problems and there's ill will that can come in between people. But this was, a, this was an alliance that should not have happened in the first place. should not have been going on. And we see that after they had made their alliance with Abimelech and this ill will came before them, then they're going to make their alliance with Gael. What has Gael done for them? As far as we hadn't done anything. He bragged a little bit and they all got in and got drunk. And they bragged some more and then they came on out and died. And that was it. See, the folks at Shechem got tired of the Israelites running the land. And they thought, well, if we get a half-brother, at least the ruler is half us. He might be half something else, but at least he's half us. At least he's a half-Shechemite. Plus, that's better than that. But then after three years, that wasn't good enough. Because this ill will came in there and set in. That's not good enough. And they wanted a full brother. And Gaal was a full brother. He was full Shechem. So there's a reason why the folks do this. Because when people are trying to appease their flesh, whatever they do is not enough. It satisfies for a little while. But they're not trying to appease their spirit. They're appeasing their flesh. And when you appease your flesh for the first little while, maybe a month, two months, in this case three years, it was okay. But then after a while, you got a little restless. Hmm. All right. Well, half-brother was all right for a while. But now I think we want, we're ready for a full Shechemite. 
to, to rule us. We don't need Abimelech anymore. And Abimelech says, well, I don't need you either. And he repays Shechem by burning the city in them. It's not such a good thing. Now, leadership is important. You're going to have leadership at work. You're going to have leadership in the country. We have leadership in here. Every country has had different ways of picking leaders. We have our ways of picking leaders. Europe, different countries over there have their ways of picking leaders. And there is not a Bible way for picking leaders outside of saying, you know, finding the guy that God says. And Israel probably did have a really good way. God would anoint one. And then that person would just reign and, and so forth. But even that way got corrupted. And things happen with that. But, you know, if God picks a person, it's going to be good. Generally, you know, you have, you have the Solomons. And you do have the Sauls. And you do have those guys that will come up. And it doesn't mean God picked the wrong person. It means men went the wrong way. And you have to be careful with that. But in our country, we have the responsibility to elect those who are called, not the bramble bushes. So you make sure those elections come up, things go, and don't elect bramble bushes. Don't elect people that are basically useless, have no other function, no other purpose. Make sure that you find out what are, they, what are you doing, what have you done. Get some people in there that have done some things and have shown you who they are and what they're about. But beside that, oh, I did have a, a quote in here. Who is this from? Did I not write down? I didn't write down who this is from. But it's been said that politicians are only concerned about the next election, whereas statesmen are concerned about the welfare of the next generation. Boy, that's what we had to be concerned with. We had to be concerned with the next generation. It's been a while, long, long while, since it seems our government has been concerned with the next generation. We keep piling up all this debt for the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. But we have to be concerned about those those things. But here the basis of the story as far as faithfulness is concerned is that flesh-based faithfulness is flexible. If you have a flesh-based faithfulness, it's a flexible faithfulness. I can change it like that. I can be faithful to an Abimelech for three years and all of a sudden, you know what, I'm not all that... I don't really like Abimelech all that much. Never really liked him before, but you know, all the bad stuff comes out. Oh, I always thought he was a bad bad turkey. I didn't think anything real good in him. That's flesh-based. If a flesh-based faithfulness, it's focused on what I want and what I need. What I want and what I need. I will be faithful as long as I get what I want and what I need. You saw this in yourself when you were growing up. How many of you were faithful to do your chores around the house when you wanted something or needed something? Or when you got something you wanted or needed or felt like you might get something you wanted or needed? Does that not increase your faithfulness to your chores to keeping your room clean and doing the things you were supposed to do when you were younger? Not anymore. Of course not anymore. But before... I mean, if it was going to go on now, then you folks would be more faithful at work as long as they pay you what you think you're worth. Then you don't let that happen, do you? Have you ever thought when you've been there at work? Boy, I'm working awful hard for this kind of money. I'm working harder for them than they're paying me to do. I think I'm going to slack off a little bit here. Not do quite as much. Because I go home awful tired. And it takes me a little while to get rested. Maybe I'll just back off a little bit and not go home so tired. I mean, George is over there. He's not doing a whole lot. I'm working harder. Than, I'll still work harder than George, but I'm not going to work as hard as I was because they're just not paying me enough. What's the kind of faithfulness is that? It's a flesh-based one. If I get what I want, if I get what I need, I'll be faithful. But as soon as I stop getting what I want, stop getting what I need, what I think I need, my faithfulness wanes. I'm not faithful anymore. And you'll do this with God too. You can have a flesh-based faithfulness to God as long as God performs. But if something happens and it causes you to shake your confidence in God performing, like you lost your job, took a pay cut, lost some hours, got into an accident with your car, something broke in the house, how many of us begin to, well, God, you didn't come through for me on here. You know what, God? Since I had to put that out, that's my tithe money. 
<laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> what do we have? We have a flesh-based faithfulness. And we think we're faithful to God, but God's saying, you're not faithful. You're faithful to what you want. You're faithful to what you need, but you're not faithful to God. And so we're going around and we're thinking, I'm faithful, I'm faithful. But it's not, it's not happening. You'll listen to a whole lot of Christians, not in this church, other churches, in other counties and other states, other countries, things like that, but not here. Not, not you folks. You folks are all faithful, right? <laughs> but you have some people and they get on up and they're, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do every week. I'm going to do this. And they're going to do this every week. And then somebody makes them mad. Somebody in the church makes them mad. What happens to them? What happens to their faithfulness thing that they're doing? Well, I'm not going to do that. Uh-uh. So-and-so made me mad. So-and-so hurt my feelings. So-and-so did this. And they're always, as soon as somebody steps up and does something, as somebody, somebody cuts them short, as soon as, as soon as somebody doesn't appreciate what it was that they did, what do they do? They change their faithfulness. They alter what it is that they're going to do. It's a flesh-based faithfulness. If you have a flesh-based faithfulness, you're not going to get what God has for you. You've got to be faithful to the Word of God, no matter if your flesh gets satisfied or not. How many of you all know that the Word of God tells us to pray on a regular basis? How many of you have ever gotten frustrated with God and didn't want to pray anymore? That's a flesh-based faithfulness. Father, I am faithful to pray as long as I feel like it. As long as I'm in a good mood. I'm faithful to read and study Your Word as long as You're performing okay. But as soon as You slack off, I'm going to back off on studying this Word. You're not going to do a whole lot of that. I'm going to be faithful to love people. I mean, don't you know that the Word of God says love the unlovable? How many of you are faithful to love the love un- unlovable until you reach that one that says, oh, this one pushed me too far. I'm not loving them. What did you become faithful to? Your needs, your wants. Not what God said. You're faithful to your needs and your wants. If your faithfulness can be shaken by what anyone does, what anyone says, what anyone expects, what anyone lets you down in, then your faithfulness is not the kind that God is looking for. Your faithfulness must be faithful no matter what. It means if you're going to teach something, you teach it if two people show up. It means if you're going to pray, you pray if you're the only one that's there. It means if you're going to work on something and no one else helps you, you're going to work on it if you're the only one doing it. That's faithful. But you see, you have to sever that tie because our flesh is used to being fed in a certain way. And I, am used, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful, God, but I want to, be, you know, I want to have fruit. That's what people say. I want to have fruit. And I have a built-in excuse for when I can back off. Remember Jeremiah? Was he preaching in good times? Were they prosperous times? Were people flocking to the meetings? People, all kinds of folks coming out to the meetings and, oh, Jeremiah's preaching today. I can't wait to get out there to hear him. No, I mean, these people were throwing stones, tomatoes, figs, all sorts of stuff and messing him up and they just weren't receiving the things that he was saying a whole, a whole lot. And he finally gets to the point and says, you know what, forget it. I don't need this. I don't have to share the word of God that comes to you or comes to me for you. I don't have to do it. I'll keep it myself. So he kept it into himself. He didn't let it out. And he said it got to be harder to keep it in than it was to put it out. And so he went back to preaching. But what what happened to his faithfulness? He let his faithfulness become flesh-based faithfulness. And because he didn't see the results, because he didn't hear what he wanted to hear, because people weren't responding the way that he felt like they should be responding, he backed off. Flesh-based faithfulness. Flesh-based faithfulness is flexible. I can be faithful to this today and I can come over and be faithful to this the next time. And then be faithful over here and then be faithful over here and then be faithful over... Mm -mm. Nope. Can't be doing that, folks. 
Now, spirit-based faithfulness, I should read faithfulness there. Looks like my spell checker found something that I typed wrong and tried to fix it for me and didn't fix it right. But you can just write faithfulness. Spirit-based faithfulness is solid. It's solid. It's not flexible. It is solid. It is not moved. You expect this kind of faithful out of your spouse, faithfulness out of your spouse, don't you? What if your spouse came to you and after you got married and your spouse says to you, I'm going to be faithful to you 364 days out of the year. How many of y'all like that? Really? 364? Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> no, you're, you're not very happy with that, are you? I'm going to be faithful to you every day except one hour per year. How many of you are happy with that one? No, this is not good. What do we demand out of our spouses? 100% faithfulness. All the time. But yet when we get with God, God, I was faithful to you a couple hours this week. What are you talking about? Uh-uh, we can't be doing that. Spirit-based faithfulness is solid and it's founded on what God said and desires. I am faithful to the things that God said. I am faithful to the things that God desires. Irregardless of what people say and people do, what happens around me. That's the kind of faithfulness God wants us to have. Be faithful in that way. Understand you're going to have some friendships and they may do some things. They may, they may hit some things. I'll tell you what, some of the people I have, I've told you before, some of the, the people I have that have been the most influential to me, understand it has not been all roses with them. There have been some things that they've let me down on. There have been some things that, I, that uh, happened and I was disappointed in with them. But I don't just, well, uh, see you later. Knock that one out. No, you can't do that. You've got to be faithful. got to be faithful. We started this church as a Raymond church. We don't decide every year. You think we ought to be a Raymond church anymore? I don't know. I'm kind of tired of being a Raymond church. Maybe it'd be another church. We don't do that. doesn't matter if, if, if Raymond goes in. The, I mean, Raymond's, they're not wearing ties on the stage anymore. I mean, that's cause right there. We should sever all relationship with them for, for good. Walk into Grace Fellowship. Every year, Raymond asks me on my form, who's your pastor? I tell him, Pastor Bobby Anion. Grace Fellowship. Grace Church now. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Been my home church. Been my church I consider to be my home church since 1984. I fill it out every time on there. I walk on in there and get in there in the... And Sunday, Sunday, I remember the, when we first uh, took a group down here from church and went on down there and brought them on down to see the worship leader because they had my absolute favorite worship leader up on stage there up to that, up to that point. Daniel Amstutz. Oh, he was so good. I bragged about him the whole way on down. Oh, when you see Daniel. Oh, when you see the things he does. And we get in there in the service and there's no Daniel. Daniel's gone. And my heart sank. Grace oh, Fellowship. No Daniel Amstutz. Who is this guy up there? And the people we took, the people who were worship leaders at the church then, we took them on out there and, and they knew him. Orlando. They know this is Orlando. Wow. Oh, I can't believe it. We're in a worship service and it's Orlando. Yeah. Who is he? <laughs> I don't know who he is. And he barely he wrote so many songs at that point they knew of him. They knew him before I did. And and I grew on Orlando grew on me. And then we go on down there one year and we Going into Grace Fellowship in the morning and getting ready for worship and there's no Orlando. What happened to Orlando? Why is he not here? Maybe he's on vacation. So we lean over to the people next to us. Where's Orlando? Oh, he left a year ago. Oh. Oh. Pastor Bob Yanyan sometimes teaches without a tie. Yeah, if you go up on his website, check out the, the video, you'll see. Sometimes teaches without a tie. No wonder his anointing has been going down over these years. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing him. <laughs> but you see, you can let a whole lot of those natural things go on. I mean, Grace, Grace Church directly got involved with some things that Raymond told us not to. 
they weren't big deals. They were not, I'm not talking about heresies and false things and stuff. But they got involved with things that Rhema said, if you want to do that, you stop being a Rhema church. And Grace got involved with them. So you see, that's been all roses. There's been some, some challenges and some times. But you know what? Stay faithful. You stay faithful to what God says to do. You don't quit it. Spirit-based faithfulness is solid. It's founded on what God said. It's founded on His desires. What does God want from you? What has God said you are to do? And those are the things that you do. Don't follow in the path of Abimelech's or the men of Shechem or any of the other folks. Follow after God. There are a lot of times that God is put in a position as He is here in Judges chapter 9 where He's saying, where are the faithful people? Now, if that woman who was on a tower was the most faithful and He used her, I don't know, but he, she may not have been faithful either. She may have been an idol worshiper. I don't know who she was, what she was, whatever it was, God used her and, and judged Abimelech. Don't always look at the situations that go on and determine by the thing that happened whose side God was on. Because you cannot always tell. Just listen to God. Stay faithful to what God says. Keep doing what God says to do. And don't, don't quit it. Don't let people get you discouraged. Don't let people alter your faithfulness. Stay faithful. God, what did you tell me to do? <clears throat> Alright, I'll keep doing that. And I'll stay with that until the end. I won't let it go. Keep it going. Just stand up with me? Father, we thank You that we can understand from Your Word what faithfulness is like. What faithfulness You desire. How You look on people and see faithfulness. We too often get involved in situations and we see the men of Shechem and Abimelech on each side and we say, God thinks they're faithful? And very many times... The two sides are neither faithful. Help us, Father, not to make those snap decisions that cause us to move our foundation to something else. We can throw our theology, throw our thoughts of You, what our knowledge is of You. Let us stay mindful what Your Word said to do, what Your Word said to believe, what You told us Your desires were, and what You have spoken to us to get, get accomplished. We will stay with that no matter what. I will not let go of the thing you have told me to do. I will not let go of the thing you have told me to believe. I will hold fast to your promises. And I will be faithful to all that you have said. Thank you, Father, that we can walk in these ways. There are times we get discouraged because of what people do. What's going on around us. But we just need to come on back to you. Understand. We're in this world and there's a whole lot of unfaithfulness going on around it. But Father, we want to rise above it and be seen by you as one of those rare ones who's faithful. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.